Just before my first daughter, Bethany, was born, Melissa and I took a short break to Punkor Island. It was a baby moon, as it were. And it was supposed to be a restful time before we received uh, baby Phillips number two into the world. Things didn't go quite as planned on the first day of our break. You see, uh, the resort that we were staying at, it stretched around the, the border of the island, the bordering beaches. Uh, so the, the villa that Melissa and I were staying in was on one side, and the place where we were going to have lunch on the first day was on the other side of the island. And Melissa was smart, of course, and decided to take the complimentary shuttle bus around to the restaurant. I was an idiot and thought I'd take the alternative route against the recommendations of the management and hike through the interior of the island on this rather loosely marked trail. Well, Melissa arrived at the restaurant after about 10 minutes and she waited for me and she waited, she waited some more and eventually she calls me only to hear me wailing on the other side of the phone, crying in desperation, I've got a blister on my left foot, I'm hot, I'm tired, I just want to turn around and go back to the room. So Melissa took a deep breath and then she patiently explained to me, actually Tim, you already have every reason to keep on walking down the trail. Firstly, lunch had already arrived by that point, and Melissa was describing it to me, how there was this fresh sea-baked lobster sitting on the table, uh, there was this delicious succulent watermelon salad. It was just waiting for my arrival. It was there. I just had to keep on going. And then she reminded me that due to the many previous nice lunches I've had before, I had plenty of energy already, <laughs> so there was really no excuse to turn back. And with that, knowing what I was heading for, and knowing that I had all the resources to get there, I marched on to lunch, just in time, arriving just in time for dessert. Well, <laughs> the Christian life can feel like a long uphill walk, can't it? In the midst of a world that is living for anything but Christ our Lord and encouraging us in various ways to do the same, what will keep us going for him? We come back to Ephesians this morning. We have Paul's first prayer for this church. He knows what they need to keep on going. Uh, it's not more blessings from God. No, it's a deeper knowledge of all of the blessings they have already received from God. Just as Melissa reminded me, I had every reason already to keep on walking along that long trail. Well, Paul knows that for this church to keep on going, they just need a deeper appreciation of everything that is already theirs in Christ. Uh, that's what we were seeing since the beginning of this letter, God's rich blessings to us in Christ, how we have received every blessing through faith in him. Paul started this letter speaking how God in his awesome mercy has blessed us with, verse 3, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing, not physical blessings, not cars and condominiums, every spiritual blessing. The certainty of forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ's blood. The certainty of, of adoption as sons back into God's household to share life forever with Him. And last week we saw how we as the Gentile church have been included in this great plan of salvation, despite the fact that at one time 
As God was making his promises to Israel, the Gentiles were far off before. Jesus is God's king and savior for the nations. He is the one in whom God has worked to reconcile all things back to himself. And so Paul is so thankful for the Ephesians. He starts with thanks because it's clear to him that God has made them part of this great saving work. Come with me to verse 15 and we see Paul's thanksgiving. Verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. See, Paul has heard of their faith in Christ, that the Ephesians have indeed been brought out of sin and back to God by His grace, and it's showing in their genuine Christ-like love for one another as a church. They, They bear the hallmark of genuine believers as they seek to love their neighbor in response to Christ's love for them. And for that, Paul is so thankful. But Paul does a lot more than just give thanks here. See what he says in verse 16? I do not cease to give thanks for you, constantly remembering you in all my prayers. See, Paul has been praying for this church ever since he heard of their faith shown in love. And this prayer that he makes for them now, it's the prayer that tells us what they really need as a church, what Paul thinks they really need to keep on going. See how Paul starts in verse 17. Paul prays that they have not hearts that know Christ. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The Ephesian church didn't need more spiritual blessings. They had received every spiritual blessing in Christ. What they needed was for God by His Spirit to enable them to know what they already had received in Christ. See again, verse 17, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, that is Jesus. We saw back in verse 13, it it was by the power of the Spirit that God had sealed this church for Him had first worked as they heard the gospel to give them eyes to see Christ and to receive him as their Lord rather than reject him in their sin. And now Paul asks God to continue working by that same spirit to help them delight in Christ all the more. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You know, we usually think of the heart today as the seat of our emotions, don't we? I have a heavy heart. I'm really sad. My heart skipped a beat. I'm really happy and excited. But but in Paul's day, the heart referred to your whole inner person, who you really are deep down. Uh, The eyes of your heart symbolize how we individually see our purpose in life. Uh, The beliefs that we hold deep down that shape our character, our habits, our behavior. You know, there's a difference between simply knowing something and believing it in our hearts, isn't there? I know that durian is an edible fruit, technically. It can be eaten. But in my heart, I will never desire to eat durian willingly. Maybe if it saves my life, but otherwise, it is just wrong. Well, Paul isn't praying 
that this church simply know Christ better in their heads. No, he's asking God by his spirit to give them wiser hearts so that as they know in their heads what it means for Christ to be Lord, it would shape their hearts and their lives for him. They would be growing in his holiness, the holiness that God has saved them for to become more and more the people he saved us to be. That's uh, Paul's goal for this church. And to get there, he prays and asks God that this church might know three things deep down in their hearts. Three wonderful realities that have become true for them in Christ. Uh, The first two concern their future. Uh, Firstly, we have the hope that Christ brings, his hope. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's the first one. Now, my family has expanded somewhat over recent years. We now have three delightful young children. And for that reason, I've experienced a new definition of hopeless activities. Um, They love to eat bowls of cereal in the morning, but they love to eat them downstairs in front of the TV on the sofa. So every morning before they get up, I'll try to carefully position some kitchen towels so that whatever mess they might potentially make, it's not going to go all over the sofa. And it never works. You see, they love to bounce around and move, as kids do. The kitchen towel always falls on the floor, and they make a huge mess. There's no hope of keeping things clean, no matter how hard I try, but I do keep on trying every morning, day in and day out. I position the kitchen towels in different ways. I put more kitchen towel down. Every morning, it doesn't work. It's a futile effort. Somehow they always manage to make a mess. Now, a little bit of breakfast mess, it isn't that serious, really. But what is infinitely more serious for us, friends, is a life lived without hope, any real hope for the future. You know, working and striving every day in the business of our lives, trying to get through life, but knowing in the back of our heads, as our world does, that one day our life will come to a full stop. In death. Death, which our world fears, will bring our accomplishments to nothing. You know, there's a reason why we rarely see the number four in the elevators here in KL, because, of course, the, the word for four in Chinese sounds so similar to the word for death. Our world fears death, and rightly so. It is the terrible judgment that looms over us ever since we first spurned God as the one who gave us life. So we turn away from him and our sin as we seek to live life as we see fit, putting ourselves in his place. And and God warns us from the beginning, uh, the wages of sin, of rebelling against him as our rightful and good God is death and judgment. And those were the wages that this church knew at one time before in their sin. In Christ now, Paul says, you have a new hope. You have an amazing future. You know that death will not have the final word, for you know the one who faced death for you and faced it down, who paid the penalty for your sins and then conquered the grave, never to die again. In Christ, we have hope a real hope for the future, a future worth living for. Not death that makes a joke of our lives in the present, that makes our labors futile. No, in Christ we have an eternal hope, an eternal purpose. And Paul clarifies this great future for us as he tells, as he prays to God for them of this second wonderful truth. He prays they would know in their hearts 
the riches that we look forward to in Christ, his riches. Come with me to verse 18 again. And Paul speaks in verse 18, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? You notice whose inheritance Paul is speaking of here that we look forward to? Here, in this verse, it's not speaking of, uh, primarily of our inheritance in Christ. No, it's described as God's inheritance. His glorious inheritance in the saints. And we are involved in this inheritance, of course, as the saints, only it's not something primarily that we receive, but rather something that God has prepared for himself, namely us, the saints whom he has saved by the blood of his Son, his glorious inheritance. That is how we're described. This takes us back to when God first called Israel to himself. Back in the Old Testament, what we had read for us in Exodus 19, it's coming up on the screen. Exodus 19, 5 to 6, and, and we read God's purpose in bringing Israel back to himself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God called Israel back to himself in his love that they might be his treasured possession, his riches. That when the, the nations of their day looked at them, as they lived under the good blessing of God's rule faithfully, well, the nations were meant to see God's treasure in them. A people who were showing forth the glory of his goodness and his character as they obeyed his good law. And friends, that purpose finds its fulfillment in us, God's church. Yeah, just have a look later in Ephesians 2.7 quickly. See what reason Paul gives us for being saved in Christ? Verse 7, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in us. Well, what purpose is God ultimately calling us to himself for, for back to life for him, that we might be living examples of his, the immeasurable riches of his grace? As we enjoy life with him again, we show that we were once sinners who rebelled against God, who rejected the one who gave us life, and yet we were still in his great mercy called back to him by nothing but his kindness to us in Christ. So as we enjoy that salvation for all eternity, we will be seen as God's rich inheritance, testifying to his grace. We will be effectively God's living trophy cabinet. Did you have a trophy cabinet at high school? I did. This cabinet full of trophies testifying to the greatness of the best and the brightest in my school, of which I certainly was not one. <laughs> I always wanted to get a trophy, to have my name on one of those trophies, but I was pretty thick in class and I wasn't that fast out on the track either. So no high school trophies for me. But that doesn't matter in the light of this, because in Christ we're told we will become the greatest trophy of all the very trophy of God. We will display the glory of his grace forever. Well, if that is the awesome future that we have to look forward to in Christ, how much more should we be seeking to declare God's glory as we wait now? 
How much more should we be encouraged to be telling others of his great mercy, his kindness to us in Christ, that they might come to share in God's rich inheritance with us? This is the future that is going to last, friends. You may have heard of Ryan Serhant. I follow his video blog from time to time. Uh, If you choose to start following it, I just warn you, his language is a bit coarse. But I do follow his blog. He is one of the most successful real estate developers in New York City. And in his blog, he is very upfront about how he sees his future. He believes that death is the end of the party. Game over. There is nothing more. And so his motto for life is, time is money. Time is money. Now, now that is tragic because we know money will come to nothing in the end. It is a futile way to live. Something so foolish to put our hope in. And yet what I find so striking about Ryan in his blog is his incredible commitment to what he believes in life. He gets up so early and he works so hard. He races from deal to deal across the city. You see him on his phone messaging right now. That's pretty much what he does all the time. He's always contacting clients. He's always looking for a deal to raise his income because for him, time is money. Get rich, get comfy. That's what life's about for Ryan until it's over. Boy, does he show it in his life. What about us as God's church? Are we dreaming about our future in Christ? And is that dream that Paul speaks of here, that is a reality, that is a certain hope, is it driving us? Is it shaping our every waking moment? Because if it is, friends, then we won't be overly invested in the stuff of this world that we know is going to fade away. We will be overly invested in Christ and in the neighbors that he's given us to serve, that they might share in this glorious future with us. As we seek to live as salt and light before them and speak of Christ to them. Is that on our minds? Is that on our hearts? Are we thinking about who we might invite to that talk on October the 12th? Are we thinking, planning about who can we invite to Christianity Explored as it starts off soon? Friends, how much more... Should we be laboring for the treasure that will not fade as we use our money, our time, our resources, our talents to serve Christ, to serve his kingdom that will not end, knowing our labor in him is not in vain, that God will use us incredibly to build his rich inheritance in the saints. But as we do that, as as we hold out Christ with that encouragement Well, we can expect opposition. And that brings us on to the final vital truth Paul wants this church to know. As they are opposed for their faith, God's power for us who believe, his power to sustain us. Come with me to verse 19, his power. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The Christian life is a struggle, yeah? It is. We know the joy of sins forgiven but we still fight the temptation to sin each day. We know the promise of eternal life, and yet we still live in a fallen world that doesn't share our hope in God. Paul wants this church to finally know deep down that in the midst of every struggle they face for Christ, they are not on their own, even if they might feel like it sometimes. That God is constantly, actively working by his great power for them. 
for the sake of what Paul says are us who believe. And where has God demonstrated this power? Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God's power sustaining us today for the sake of us who believe it's not wishful thinking. It's not a blind hope. It's rooted in the historical fact that he raised his son from the dead. That in Christ, by his great power, God has overcome, has taken the victory over every enemy that we could not hope to defeat ourselves. The penalty of sin we could not escape. The death in judgment we were otherwise heading for. The charge of Satan to condemn us. And Christ overcame it all as he broke the power of sin and death, as he robbed Satan of his ability to accuse us in his own body as he rose from the grave. I love the way the English poet George Herbert puts it. He says, because of Christ, death is no longer an executioner, he is a gardener. Because yes, one day we will be planted in the ground in death, but if Christ is ours, we have the promise of resurrection life that we know by the Spirit now and we will know one day in every way when we are raised to life with God just as he was. Until that great day, we're told that the same power by which God raised Christ from the dead, it's at work in you as you believe on him. Our faith in Christ that can secure us no matter what. See how Paul continues in verse 20. Speaking of Christ after the resurrection, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now that Christ has been exalted to the Father's side, there isn't a person, there isn't a place, and there isn't a time that he is not ultimately Lord over. Yeah, Paul just emphasizes it again and again. Christ is above all rule and authority, above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In other words, no one can challenge Christ and ultimately succeed. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. That's what, that's what a victorious king would have done in Paul's day, having vanquished an enemy. If the enemy was still alive, he would literally put his foot on the neck of the enemy that he had vanquished to show his great victory. All things have been put under Jesus' feet. For what purpose? End of verse 22. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What has God done by his great power in Christ? He has given him to us, his church so that we might become his body. Through faith in him, we might become one with him by the Spirit. We might share in the power of his resurrection life. But then see how Paul describes us this really strange way. Paul is speaking of us as a church here, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? to describe us as the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Well, there's, there's a lot of debate. There are uh, a lot of different ideas about what it might mean. Here's what I think it might mean. Um, Paul's just been emphasizing Christ's incomparable authority, how he is Lord over everything. 
Christ is above every power. And yet we know, of course, today that we don't see his universal rule acknowledged in every way. Well, we still live in a world that rages against God and rages against his king for the moment and is allowed to continue doing so for the moment. Still opposes the Lord that we love. For now, Christ's reign is not universally recognized, but it is seen somewhere today. It is seen in us, his church that he has redeemed. See, as we continue living for Christ, come what may, we demonstrate to our world the reality of his reign. It's seen in us who believe. In Christ, we have become a living foretaste of the fullness of his rule, of him who fills all in all. The fullness of his rule that will be recognized in every way by everyone on the final day. That's what Paul means here, I think. So friends, as we persevere with him, we show with Christ as Lord that we are on the right side of history. Who are recognizing the one who is king, who is Lord of all, who will deliver us from every enemy in the end. The Ephesian church needed to believe this because Ephesus was a center of occult practice. Uh, They were a society convinced they were at the mercy of evil, dark uh, spiritual forces. We see from Acts 19 verse 19, we're told, having come to faith in Christ, okay, it's not there, I'm going to read it for you. We're told, oh, there you go, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. This is the Ephesian church having been brought to faith in Christ. Because that was their mindset before Christ. They were obsessed with placating evil spirits, casting spells taught by their mystics, living in fear of forces they couldn't hope to control. And Paul assures them that Christ and God's power for us in him is so much greater than the powers that they once feared. He is so much greater than the enemies they were now facing in their own neighbors. You see, as they had turned to Christ, it had stirred up a lot of opposition against them. There was a riot in Ephesus against Paul and against this fledgling church because their neighbors were convinced as these guys ditched their magic and feared Christ instead, they were going to invite further misfortune and misery to the city. Paul wants this church to know deep down in their hearts, God's power for you in Christ is so much better as you bear up under every hostility against your faith. He who rules over all is holding you secure. Now perhaps right now today, or this will be us one day, I promise you, if you keep on trusting in Christ, we're feeling pretty weak. Not strong as a Christian because right now, we're facing some resistance for our faith. Maybe you're facing a non-Christian family who are getting increasingly frustrated with you. They wish you'd stop focusing on Jesus so much, stop speaking of him, stop putting him first, live for your studies, live for your family, live for your kids, stop being a Jesus freak. Or maybe we're struggling at work. Our, Our colleagues are just tired of us seeking to take opportunities to live for Christ and share Christ with them. And at the same time, we're refusing to join in the office gossip, the backstabbing. We're refusing to get drunk late at night with them because we want to honor Christ as Lord. And they are making our lives difficult for it. 
Uh, sooner or later, as we live with Christ as Lord, we will face opposition. And in those moments when we're up against the wall, we must draw strength from the knowledge that as God's people, by His grace, we are secure if Christ is our King. This is one of my favorite pictures. John F. Kennedy. He's arguably the most powerful world he was in his day. He's president of the United States, political and military chief of hundreds of thousands. And playing down at his feet, underneath the Resolute Desk, is his young son, John F. Kennedy Jr. He's a vulnerable little kid who you wouldn't know from Adam. But he's not vulnerable at all, is he, in this picture? Because he's playing at the feet of his father, who can afford him more security by his awesome authority than any other man in his day. Friends, as God's church, we play at the feet of Christ, our Lord, whom God has raised from death, exalted to his right hand, who reigns above every power, both now, yesterday, today, and forever. And if we really believe that in our hearts, we will shed our fear of man, our habit and I know I struggle with this, of, of getting quiet about Jesus when eyebrows are raised. Instead, we will know and fear Christ who is far above anyone who might oppose us for our faith in Him. He holds us secure, even in the grip of death. And so we will strive to serve Him and His gospel. We will strive, even in the face of opposition, to live as salt and light for him before others that they might come to know him too because we know we are secure no matter what we are upheld by God's great power for us in Christ. Friends, are we grasping God's grace to us in Jesus? That's what Paul prays this church. That's what Paul knows this church need to continually grasping God's grace in Christ. In Him we have a future worth living for. In Him alone we have riches that will last. In Him alone we have power to sustain us as we wait. Are you rejoicing in that today? I mean, firstly, we need to ask ourselves, do we know this grace? Maybe you aren't a Christian here this morning. Welcome. It is great to have you here. But please understand that being right with God, it does not mean turning over a new leaf doesn't mean trying hard to get into his good books that he might reward us one day. We can't hope to bridge the gap between us and God in our sin that is so deep, in the face of his holiness that is so great. But being, being right with God it isn't about turning over a new leaf. It's receiving by his grace a new life. His undeserved favor to us in Christ, who alone has died to deal with our every sin, who alone has conquered the grave that we might know life with God again away from the fear of His judgment on our sin. We just need to accept that Christ is and always will be our only hope. And so trust Him and bow the knee to Him and know life in His name. For, thus, for those of us who have do done that, well, has His grace that we first came to know, has that grown and shaped our hearts? 
Have we grown in our appreciation of the riches that are ours in Christ? Has that captured your heart all the more? Paul prays for this young church because they have started well. But the Christian life, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. What matters is not starting well, but finishing well. And there's the danger that we do get tragically distracted along the way as we fix our hearts on something or someone other than Christ above all, our first love. We, we can start to look to our wealth dangerously in a world that's living for it. We'll look to our career. We even look to our family. Now, they're all good gifts from God, but tragic when we root our hearts in these things and love them in the place of Christ. Friends, if something or someone matters to you more than Christ today, that is your idol. That's robbing Jesus of the worship he alone is due, and if we persist in love for that idol over and against him, we might confess with our lips that Christ is Lord, but he is not the one we're worshipping in our hearts. It's not his future that we'll prize, so we won't make a priority of building his kingdom in the present. It's not his power that we will prize, so we won't suffer for his sake when the going gets tough for him tomorrow. Friends, may that never be us who fall back into the ways of our world only to face Christ on the final day and hear him say to us, depart from me, I never knew you. No, we must continue to feed on his grace in our hearts as we sit under this word by which God will keep us, as we see the compromises in our hearts and so turn back to him who alone covers our every sin, trusting that as we do, Paul's prayer will be answered in us, that God will be working by his Spirit in our hearts so that we would prize Christ as our eternal hope and so labor for his kingdom in the present. We would prize the riches of God's inheritance that we will one day share in and so sacrificially invest for that future. We will know the greatness of God's power to sustain us and so persevere in every trial for his sakes. How do we keep going as Christians? Only as we know Christ better. Only as we treasure his grace in our hearts all the more. So let's ask God to help us do that now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this prayer. We thank you that through it we see our greatest need as your church. Above all things, that we would be marveling, rejoicing in, and living in the light of your grace to us in Christ all the more. We will be understanding all the more the hope eternal that is ours in him. Your great, rich inheritance that we will become one day in him. Your incomparable power to us in Christ that sustains us as we wait. Father, by your Spirit, help us to appreciate these things all the more in our hearts that we might be those who persevere with Christ 
and so know the glories of his kingdom. And we ask this for his namesake. Amen.